for me in my belief system you're creating your own reality so you can decide what your individual reality is like because we are all going through life and we are all experiencing life but then we individually add meaning to what we experience and right now we can be in exactly the same situation and then afterwards I'm going home to my girlfriend you may be going home to your wife and we tell two completely different stories just through our way of perceiving reality and I think we this also gives so much power to us individually because we can decide on how we choose to view and experience reality and that was the biggest game changer for me personally understanding this that I'm in like 100% control of my life and the way that I perceive things and the way that I attach meaning to certain things so this always try to find positivity even bad situations and things that I didn't like or where I was enduring a lot of pain and then also living through the highs and experiencing them even more. Welcome to Ad Creative, a new show from Pencil about the unexpected ideas that have changed the game for D2C founders and operators with a focus on actionable takeaways. I'm Chase Moseni. Thanks for joining us. Today I speak to Carl Weishit, co-founder and CEO of the growth agency Accelerated. We start with his high school day selling his own brand on Amazon and move to how a burning desire to learn about psychology has directly fed into all his work at the agency. He also shares the challenges he's faced as a young founder and what he's learned that has helped him move through all that adversity. Whether you want to up your CRO game or learn from a really impressive founder, this episode and Carl are amazing. I hope you enjoy it. So really glad on this episode of Ad Creative to be joined by the co-founder and CEO of Accelerated, a CRO agency. And uh, his actual name is Carl Weishi. We've been practicing together uh, so that I could say it properly. Really great to be here with you, Carl. Thank you so much for having me on, Chase. It's a pleasure. So before we kind of jump in and, and talk about your history, what does Accelerated do exactly? So we are an agency uh, for D2C brands, and we focus on conversion rate optimization and the B testing which is basically all focused around creating a store that converts. Most of the agencies are focused on pushing the right traffic. We are making sure that this traffic is actually converting. That's great. How long have you guys been at it? So we founded the agency about two years ago. Uh, so beginning of 2020 when COVID hit. That's great. We, Since we're a creative company, we always want to start out with the creative idea. What gave you guys the idea to, to start this thing? It's a crazy backstory. So um, back then, I used to have my own brand. So I was selling online. I was selling on Amazon. And I used to work with a bunch of agencies. And then I somewhat ran into my now co-founder Lars. Because back then, he used to be a freelancer for this whole topic of neuromarketing and conversion rate optimization. And we just started working together um, in the end of 2019. And it was really fun. I really liked it. And for me personally, I also always was really, really passionate about human psychology. And then for me, somewhat it all was being combined into this field of conversion optimization, trying to understand the psychology of your target audience, customers, and why they are buying essentially. Then we just optimized my store, worked together for that on, for months and just worked really, really closely and somewhat grew into becoming friends. And then just one day over the COVID lockdown, had the idea to build this out into a service. And that, uh, that was literally how we started with the agency itself. So funny how those things those happen, right? Like it just kind of organically happens from there. What was your Amazon brand? What were you selling? So I was selling um, gadgets. So basically these wireless chargers and phone cases. 
Okay, cool. So I'm always curious about this. How do you feel accelerated affects people's lives? So obviously you're dealing with brands, a lot of probably brand owners or even heads of growth. How have you guys kind of affected people's lives? I interact with you a lot on Twitter and, and all the kind of value that you provide is helping people. But how does it work on a client level, like outside of actually the stuff you're doing online? Great question. Um, so it really depends on where the client is at and where the client wants to go, because it's really, really individual from brand to brand. Some people want to have a great landing page that converts. Some people um, want to scale profitably. Some people uh, just want to grow faster, learn more. So it's really individual from case to case. I always have this one case, which was one of our earliest clients that I like to reminisce and talk about, because essentially he wasn't able to scale pretty much. He was at a 0.3% conversion rate. All his traffic was really, really unprofitable. And that's one of my favorite stories because we started working on a store and we literally 5x his conversion rate basically overnight because we completely redid his page. And that got his traffic highly profitable from one day to the other. And he was a one-man show. So for that, for him, that meant that he could have like an income stream and that we kind of made it profitable for him so that he could live again off his business. And for me, that was the most uh, touching story. So that was really, really great. During the day-to-day now, we're working with like more established brands, bigger brands, some around the mid-seven to mid-eight-figure brands. And for those brands, uh, mostly the changes that we help them get more profit and margin out of the traffic that they are having. So that's like a huge side of things that we are doing with CRO. And the other thing is I see us as a strategic partner for brand that essentially helps brand understand more about the psychology of their audience because at the end of the day, we can run all those of tests to see what works and what doesn't, right? And everybody's familiar with this from the ad set perspectives to see what headline, what call to action and what creative works and maybe even what targeting works and all of that. So everybody is constantly A-B testing the ad sets. And we are just doing that on the store and on the landing pages to then see again what works and what doesn't. And this really, really helps brand owners a lot understand so much more about the target audience. And then again, we can help them with the overall brand strategy because now we know what works with their target audiences, uh, what are the pain points, beliefs, motives, desires. And this really plays greatly into the overall brand strategy because we can tell them, hey, we tested this. And we see that this worked. So this is what you need to be doing in the next steps from the brand. Oh, I love that. So I want to put a pin in audience because I think it's really important, but maybe step back like a, a second and understand kind of where your love for psychology came from. Is it something that you studied at university? And when I was looking, I think you started your gadgets brand plus the agency while you were still finishing uni. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, that's completely true. I'm so old. So, old. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so my, my, my love for psychology um, started when I was around 15, 16, because back then I used to be really, really unhappy with the way that my life was going because I was failing through school. I wasn't happy with myself and with like the circuits that I was in. So I started reading um, a lot of psychology because I wanted to understand how can I motivate myself to get certain things done and also then Secondly, how can I influence myself, influence the relationships that I have with my environment and the people around me, and also motivate them then again to get certain things done, right? Because I want to positively influence them. So that's how it all started. And that's why it's such a true passion of mine that's really close to my heart because it changed a lot of things. And it um, enabled me to upgrade so many things in my life just 
through the understanding of me and others and relationships between human beings. And that's literally how it started. So I started eating up books on everything that I could my ha- get my hands on regarding anything psychological, whether it be psychology, relationships, emotions, emotional intelligence and all of that. And those were the first stepping stones of me kind of getting into this whole field and went through tons of books, videos, all of that. And then I also did certain um, seminars, courses, um, and also wrote my bachelor thesis about this whole field of psychology. So I really had tons of different touch points with psychology throughout my life in different areas. And this basically was the foundation for me getting into the business area that I'm in right now. That's great. I think it's so smart uh, and, and really thoughtful of you at that age to be able to think like that. I'm curious or more interested, what were maybe two or three of the biggest takeaways that kind of like still affect you on a day-to-day basis, right? So like, for instance, I love something that Seneca said, which is uh, people suffer more in imagination than reality. So like most of the stuff you're telling yourself isn't real. And so you've got to remember that and ground yourself in what is actually real and happening to me that I can control. Everything else is shit. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what are stuff that you kind of on a regular basis still use that you learned back then? It's funny that you say it with Seneca and his quote, because for me, the biggest thing is really, really similar to that, which is that for me and my belief system, you're creating your own reality. So you can decide what your individual reality is like, because we are all going through life and we are all experiencing life. But then we individually add meaning to what we experience. And right now we can be in exactly the same situation. And then afterwards, I'm going home to my girlfriend. You may be going home to your wife. And we tell two completely different stories just through our way of perceiving reality. And I think we, this also gives so much power to us individually because we can decide on how we choose to view and experience reality. And that was the biggest game changer for me personally, understanding this, that I'm in like 100% control of my life and the way that I perceive things and the way that I attach meaning to certain things. So this always try to find positivity, even in bad situations and things that I didn't like or where I was enduring a lot of pain. And then also living through the highs and experiencing them even more. Oh, that's great. I think it's a really important point for people to realize, especially when you're when you're dealing with kind of high pressure situations of owning your own company or working for someone who's starting out and uh, trying to build something together. It can be really hard and it's a grind. I mean, everything is a bit of a grind, um, but it really does come down to how you look at it. And you can say, oh, this is a grind. This is terrible. It's hard. You could say like, this is super exciting that I get the opportunity to build this thing. Um, And I can comment just on knowing Carl uh, for for a little bit now. Like always, he always comes from a place of, or you always come from a place of abundance, right? Like this is awesome. We're going to figure this out and always excited to partner with people and do things and help people with your knowledge. So like that shines through for me, definitely. For sure. So what's been hard over the last two and a half years that you've been working on this that you didn't expect? Oh, great question. So depends on if you're looking at the beginning of the journey or if you're looking at where I'm at right now. You both. Okay. So um, looking at the beginning of the journey, where it was literally just myself and my partner, so the two of us, and we were responsible for everything from getting clients to communication to marketing to getting the results and um, sales and whatnot. 
I didn't envision myself to be um, needing to be such an all-rounder, so to be needing to learn everything in the sense. Because for me, always being an entrepreneur, I thought you are the expert for one thing and then you're just talking about that one thing and somehow it sells itself. So I didn't really guess beforehand that being an entrepreneur or solopreneur in the beginning stages means actually doing everything yourself and being responsible for everything. Like there's nothing that you're giving away. There's no executive assistant when you're just starting out uh, that can do tests for you. There's no team that is going to work for you and help you fulfill uh, your product or service for your client. So that was in the beginning part uh, that it was completely different from the way that I expected being an entrepreneur or a solopreneur to how it was. Right now, I would say the, the biggest difference between my expectation and the reality that it is right now is the way that you build a team and manage a team and have a bunch of employees. Because right now, I think we're at a team size of around 21 to 22 people. And back then when I started out, I was always dreaming of a team, working together with people and having some people in my team who would uh, help build everything. And I imagine it completely different to how it would be right now because every day, obviously, you're working together with other individuals, other human beings. Everybody's having their own needs and wants and desires. And everybody's really individual. I mean, which is also the beauty of it. But I was imagining it a bit more flawlessly in the sense that I wouldn't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> and the team is doing everything. And nowadays I'm a bit laughing about that expectation that I had back then. But yeah, that's uh, really, really great to experience right now how things turned out. And um, also how much I was able to learn through the process of having so many expectations and then things turned out differently or you plan for A and then B comes around because you need to learn a lesson or whatever. And then at one point, I just decided to not have expectations about things anymore and kind of like take things as they come to be able to learn and not uh, be mad about anything. So this is kind of the second day in a row uh, I've talked to someone and they said essentially one of the biggest learnings for them is like having a plan it's almost like you have to have a, a direction you're going, but understand that the plan to get there can change at any time and not have an expectation that essentially it's going to be a linear path. But just understand that no matter what, we're going to the other side of this body of water. However we get there is how we get there. Let's do it together. And so I think that's really, really interesting. I want to maybe like think about how... How have you or what are things that you've learned and enacted in your team? Because going from, you know, two and a half years, going from one or two of you to 22 is a big jump, especially for, you know, an agency. That's a really sizable, uh, like, group of group of people. And you had, a, I don't think you've managed people before that. So what were some of the things that you learned or have learned that uh, have helped you kind of guide your team? Because I would suspect that you have people that work for you that are older than you. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you guide a team to make sure that they feel like, okay, they understand and you're able to communicate with them so that they can uh, deliver value and, and feel also value themselves? Great question. Um, because I feel like, and this is a huge bias that I think a lot of people fall into, is thinking that everybody is just like you uh, and everybody acts like you and thinks like you, right? <laughs> you're laughing because you can <laughs> you can associate yourself with that. And I ran into that a lot. So I was thinking everybody is like me. So everybody that I'm hiring thinks and works and acts like me. And I was kind of treating them like really individual, like robots, like machines that are just getting shit done. And then at some point, I kind of, 
I just kind of knew, I kind of felt that this wasn't the right way to do it. And that I'm actually working with individual human beings that are, somebody may be an extrovert, somebody may be an introvert, somebody may have different things of getting, different way of getting things done uh, than me. Somebody uh, may be really good at this, but bad at that. And I had to understand that. And there was a bit of a hard pill to swallow in the beginning because I thought, okay, everything would be so easy if everybody would just be like me. <laughs> but obviously that's not the way it is. And it's good that it's not the way that it is. And that's what I also um, realized is that I have a bunch of weaknesses. And right now I'm having people that are completely different than me because they have strengths in the areas and places where I have weaknesses. And that's exactly what I need. And right now I'm just trying to hire people who, are, who can replace me in my strengths and who can even more replace me in my weaknesses in the sense that they may be completely different from their psychologically, like the way that they're wired or their character or the way that they act, but they have the strengths where I need them to be. So that was a really, really interesting realization to where I had to come to. Yeah, it's hard, right, to look at yourself and say, I'm trying to go and essentially I'm reading this book, Ron from Obvi suggested I read, which is Winning by Tim Grover. It's about Kobe and Michael Jordan's trainers. Oh, yeah, I love the book. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I've been like doing a tandem where I'll, uh, I'm reading it, but I'm also listening to the audio book because like in the middle of the night, I'm with the, the younger baby. And so I'm like, you know, I can pump myself up to stay awake by listening to this book. Nice. And it's really fascinating thinking about how they had to balance this doubt of I can get better, but I'm also the best and no one's going to, no one's taking the last shot, but me, but also I need to learn how to be better at taking the last shot. Mm. And it's a weird dichotomy, I think, because it's essentially being able to admit you're not good enough, but that you're the best at the same time. And you're the right person to lead this group of people. And I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to be able to do that. And it takes training to be able to do that. So it's really good that you're thinking about that and, and filling in those gaps. But yeah, everyone should read that book. It's incredible. Yeah. And shout out to Ron. Shout out to Ron. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Ron. Ron Ron's a goat. What keeps you, uh, what keeps you going? I mean, this work is hard, man. Like what keeps you going when things are tough? Probably my initial motivation and my crystal clear vision of where I see myself in a couple of years. It's just a clear picture that I have in mind that I've been chasing since I was 16 to where I see myself as a human being, as a male, as a friend, as a partner, as a dad, whatsoever. And I'm just chasing that. And that gets me through every obstacle. That's literally everything. So just uh, imagining, imagining myself to where I want to be all the time. And that gets me through every hardship uh, that may occur. Um, and always gets me back into the mindset that maybe it's hard right now or maybe it's tough right now. And it's really funny because I had a really, really tough time just like one or two months ago. And then I was at some point just like laughing and smiling because I understood I'm really at a low point right now. And from now, it can only go uphill. So I'm really thankful and really looking forward to the next steps, right? So it literally helped me through every single step of the way, uh, through being more patient, through being more motivated, through being more happy and generally grateful for like every step of the way, whether it be whether I be feeling good or bad or whatsoever. Yeah, I really, I really love that sentiment, which is, I'm, I don't know if you've seen when Matthew McConaughey won his Oscar, uh, he talked about like, I'm always chasing the next version of myself. Mm. So I'm not satisfied with the person I am today. And then when I get to the place I think I want to be in a few years, 
I will still be like, okay, well, I got to go to the next guy. And so it's never about like, you never reach the mountaintop. You're always kind of climbing a never ending Everest and you're just getting to base camps. And it's like, shit, this is awesome. I got here, but like still got to keep going. So uh, yeah, that, that sentiment is, uh, is incredible. I think more people need to think like that. Yeah. It's crazy that you say that. I feel it also relates to what we've been talking about before that you're always somewhat balancing between you already made it so far but then again you gotta humble yourself because there's so much more to go so at some point you gotta be really flexible between okay right now you gotta yeah. take the lead and you gotta lead people motivate people and get shit done but at the other hand you really gotta put yourself into a beginner's mindset again to be able to grow even more and that's that's what i'm finding is the biggest challenge in being an entrepreneur yeah i think it's um It's literally that that little part of that book. How do you balance being the man and also being knowing that you're not even close to the man at the same time? Yeah, I think it's or woman person. Excuse me. Uh, you're the person, uh, but you're also not the person, and you need to get better. I think it's like you said. You just need to keep going back to beginner's mindset. But I mean, it comes back to I was talking about you know Seneca. Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Ego Is the Enemy, mm. which I've read multiple times, and essentially like this is kind of one of those things. Every time I fuck up it is literally because i have given in to the enemy which is my ego and not allowed myself to kind of let that go and just take things as they come and be like always have the beginner's mindset and so i i think exactly what you're saying is having that balance and remembering that you're always chasing the next best version of yourself is really the right way to be thinking so we did two things and i, I think i'll go back to audience uh when we get into a little more tactics after this but i'm wondering what idea change the game for your business so obviously you started out with smaller clients and you've grown into like the seven and eight figure dc brand clients what was the thing that you feel like kind of made that big jump across the across the bridge if you will or across the the, the valley if you will to allow you to get to that level i think the biggest change that we did was mid last year where we started seeing ourselves as a data company Because before that, we did a bunch of stuff. We did audits, we did consultings, we did workshops, we built landing pages from scratch, built stores from scratch and everything. And when we got this understanding of us being a data and a testing company, we switched our model to just doing A-B testing for everything that we do. So we will never, ever just implement something based on best practice or our experience or my gut feeling. We will A-B test every single change and that really changed completely how we think and how we see ourselves and also how we interact with our target audience and clients because we have a completely different way of acting and a completely different process right now of how we set up this complete conversion rate optimization process and the way that we look at data and then also run A-B tests and then again look at data, analyze data and just have this complete understanding of being data first. So it's almost like you drank the Kool-Aid of, of what you're telling customers, which is like understand your audience and then understand your company and how those two things fit together, right? So like yeah. you can do 10 things, but if you do 10 things, you're never doing any of them 100%. So it's almost like be incredible at one thing so that you become the best at that and then you can expand rather than trying to essentially sell you know, a whole slew of products at the beginning, which I think is a big misconception. I mean, it's funny the amount of, really successful one to three product stores that you see that are Shopify killers. And it's because they have said like, we're just going to focus on these three things. And they're essentially the exact same formulation in maybe a different package size or maybe a different flavor. And then 
we're going to just go hard at that and we're going to get our process right before we expand because we want the process to work and we want our customers to be excited. Like Avi is a great example of this, right? They've expanded over time, but they really just started like focusing on collagen and maybe one or two other things. Yeah. There's a company I like called Magic Mind. It's like a nootropics, uh, like a little drink. They're based out of LA and they, they've done a really great job of setting up their entire process. I'll send you their link, but they have one product and they did not sell anything else. They will eventually, but essentially everything's super slick. They have all their SMS cadences firing. So I think that's really, really smart. And more people would, I think, benefit from having a rigorous focus on the one thing that they're exceptional at and then expanding from there. So I, I don't know if that's something you talk to your customers about a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we talked about it a lot in our positioning and the way that we interact with them now. Yeah. And about this whole double down thing, because a lot of them still came up to us asking for landing pages, asking for consulting whatsoever. And we just told them, hey, we're just doubling down on this one thing to become the best at it. So this is a, a bit of a curveball question. When you tell your parents about what you do, so there's the agency. I think they can maybe understand a marketing agency, but the specific thing that the agency does, conversion rate optimization and A-B testing, do they understand what that is at all? They do now because I made some great analogies and metaphors to real life that makes them or makes anybody understand what we do really, really easily. So I'm telling everybody we're basically just doing experiments online. So imagine yourself, like, would you rather go into like a small crowded place or store where there's everything all over the place or would you rather go into an Apple store, right? Where there's somebody greeting you at the entrance, everybody, everything is clear, you know where to go, you know where the products are, they're displayed really nicely. So that's like the first thing that I like to say and that's basically what we do online. So we create this Apple store experience online. It's really easy to understand the value proposition, the benefits. Customers can really easily navigate through the store. They understand the product, where to find them, what are the benefits, and they are being sold on this idea. And there's like nothing crowded, nothing bad about the store experience. So that's like the first thing. And second thing, what I like to tell them is that we basically just do market research in the sense that we, for example, have 100,000 people in front of us and 50,000 people we may be showing a blue packaging and 50,000 people will be showing you red packaging. And then we're just seeing how the people are reacting to that. And then we are acting based on that. And that's what we're doing online. Yeah, that's a much easier way to say it. I almost want to just like, I'm going to take that clip and anyone who asks me what CROs, I'm just going to send them that <laughs> little 90 seconds because that's exactly that's exactly it. Essentially, yeah, it's, that, it's one of those like, this is we exist to help people do this kind of statements. Really great. So what trends are you are you most excited about right now? I know you, you write a lot about how people can leverage certain psychological tips to optimize their store, um, like like irregardless of the volume of customers that they're seeing come through. Are there any trends that are happening, whether it's in CRO or not, but that you think are, are really valuable right now? What I personally feel is a really, really great trend is um, the whole way that people are looking at retention marketing right now. Because I feel like in the past couple of years, it was a lot of the times focused on the first purchase of a customer and just scaling the front end profitability of your ad budget. And right now it's being shifted in the way due to the iOS 14 that has happened with the data tracking and everything, um, that people are looking at everything from a more 
overall perspective on what's happening with the brand and the product and the customers. And they're also focusing a lot more on the complete customer journey. So not like the front end first sale of the customer and getting a lot of new customers, but also retaining the customers. So not only obtaining, but also retaining the customers that they have, work with the customers that they have. For example, Ron and Ash are doing an amazing job with Obvi with the way that they have this community set up. So that they have a huge community of, I believe, like 50, 60K-ish people on Facebook right now, where they're just retaining the customers to uh, interact with each other and buy new products and help each other and everything. And I feel like this is a really, really great trend and shift in paradigm that's happening right now, where people see everything more from a wholesome perspective in the sense that they have to act with their brand and product and not only share about a product once, but also care about the customer, send out emails, send out SMS, maybe have an application, maybe have a community or something like that. And that's what I think is a huge trend that will be affecting a lot of businesses in 2022. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's, it, it like really synthesizes with some of the landscape changes that we're seeing. It's funny, I've been... I just laugh with a few people where, you know, we're talking about profitability and, and like retention being important. And you're like, dude, these things were always important. Like who forgot that retaining customers was a, was it like an important thing, but you're right. It is something that people are now focused on because they're trying to like work through long-term profitability and, and not having to spend like upfront dollars to, uh, to acquire customers. And so, yeah, I think it's really great. I guess, how do you look at that now? So taking that trend and, and stepping back, or I guess maybe zooming in from the lens of what you guys do, how do customers or people actually leverage CRO to double down on their retention efforts? So for retention, what we like to look at is how are returning users interacting with the store? Because we can divide the users into different segments. And most of the guys listening to this and probably you too are familiar with all the segmentation and Google Analytics, right? So you do not only have desktop and mobile and not only like Apple or an Android and whatever there is or gender or age brackets. You also have the brackets of new user or returning user. And the way that returning users are interacting with the store, first of all, is completely different than the way that new users are interacting with the store. So that's a huge thing that we can do store side is to display different storefront to the returning users based on the cookies and everything. Secondly, where CRO comes into place with the whole retention marketing is that we like to survey the existing customer base for what do they like about the brand, about the store, about the products, about the way that the customer service is treating them and everything. So we're just serving them about everything and then we can improve based on that. And we can also take what they say and again, optimize the page and the store based on that. So we're just working with the existing customer base sending out surveys to them, asking them for what they like or maybe what we can improve too, and then making sure to do that, improve on that, and then make sure that we have, that we're retaining more and more and more customer rates. And I'm I'm talking to more people that are getting like a 30%, 50%, maybe even 60% customer retention rate to the point where 60% of their orders are being made through returning customers. And that's great. Like they have been killing it in that sense then. So, Doubling down on essentially, or maybe double clicking down on the idea of sending surveys, it's a standard thing, right? Oh, you're going to have a post-purchase survey. Well, how many people want to do a post-purchase survey after buying something 30 seconds ago? I don't want to do it. Uh, what I want to do is experience the value of the product and then you know do something there. And so how are you 
recommending because that's that's you're talking about being a data company so that's value that you want to extract from the customer so that you can deliver long-term kind of value holistically for them when they return to the site hopefully um to to purchase again or shop at least so what are ways that you guys are recommending to your clientele to uh to be able to do that is it kind of a standard hey just send it after you know a week after the thing arrives send them something in a cadence or um are there kind of more like broad strokes things that you recommend I wouldn't recommend any broad strategies. I would really individualize and I would also have di different segmentations of the customers. Like same as the way that all the email marketers are doing it, like having segments of your customers and subscribers on how many times they purchased and everything. And then you can send out different surveys. So for example, perfect example that you've made, whenever they buy a product, wait two, three, four days after they've received the product to make sure that they have experienced the product, but it's like a fresh experience. They haven't had it lay around the house for like four weeks, right? So it's like a fresh experience and then we can ask them. Secondly, for like returning customers that may have bought like three, four, five times, we can just send it out to them because we know they are fans. They care about the brand. They care about the products. So they will be happy to answer and give their input. And then there are different ways to incentivize them. These fans, we can just tell them, hey, you're purchasing once a month. You purchase like five times. We are really keen to hear your feedback. We can send out free products to them to incentivize them. Or we can just send them, hey, please give us your feedback so that we can improve based on that and in the future have an even better product and brand and customer experience. That's the first thing. Secondly, for like the new customers who did the first purchase, we can incentivize them with something like discount cards with a certain amount, small amount of giving them money back from their order or something like that. Because at the end of the day, customer feedback is so, so valuable that we are always suggesting to give them like an incentive, whether it also even be money or discount based. I think the, the big one um, that I, I love that kind of keeps coming back here and it makes me think that it uh, makes me know that you guys are super rigorous about it is just what is your audience? What is the way that they consume stuff and your products? And like, how can we segment them accordingly based on the experience that they're having? So for instance, if you have something, you know, whatever the product is where it takes, you know, a week to experience the value, like don't send the survey on day three because you know your product and how your customers are consuming better. But if you know, it's like day one, you put on a shirt, uh, I buy Everyone who listens know I, I'm a, a Viore acolyte. So if I put on like a, a shirt, they know that that day I can say like, well, this is the softest thing I've ever, I've ever, I've ever worn. Um, and so you can send me something and I'll be like, yeah, this is kick ass. People should buy it versus, you know, I don't know that, that thing I was talking about uh, says on the, on the label takes about four days to feel the effects. Don't send me a survey on day two then. Because I need to feel the effects for at least four, four to seven days before that happens. So yeah, I think that's... Like supplements, for example. Exactly. I mean, this is what, uh, like the one we released today, Ron was talking about, like the feedback loops for supplements are pretty short in terms of health and wellness, but it's still two to four weeks before someone feels something and then thinks about repeat, you know, doing a repeat business. Well, I talked to Matt from Huron and he was talking the same thing, which is, you know, someone's not going to say on day one, like, oh, God, this deodorant's amazing. But maybe on day three, they feel like that. They put it on the first time and then they wear it. I'm like, this is kick ass. Now send it to them and you'll get some information out of them because they've done it a few times. It feels like part of their routine, but it's not so much that it's like they, they're not even thinking about it anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's dead on, dead on. What hacks? So this is this is a funny one. What hacks do you believe in right now the most? You know, I, I'm always a big proponent of, 
there are hacks, but eventually all will die. But the thing is, they kind of keep coming up, right? They're all always new things. So what are things that you work on that you've kind of been hacking at that uh, are fun? I'm really also against hacks and best practices in that sense. The only thing, and this is really the only thing that I can suggest regarding the CRO space, is focusing on building trust with social proof and trust badges. That's the only thing that has been working through the books and every single story that we've done of it. It's everything in regards to press releases, customer reviews, review stars, trust badges, social proof in general, store benefits, any kind of badges, guarantees. Those are always working and that is the only in that sense, hack that I like to give to people. But everything else, I would rather approach individually for a brand or a store or a customer because everybody that's saying, hey, this is, there's a blueprint strategy for something should be fired, in my opinion. And, I, and that's the funny thing. Like You see it on Twitter all the time and there's so many great, great media buyers that I highly, highly respect and everybody's having a different opinion. Some people just like to run Facebook on broad. Some people believe in highly, highly targeted ad sets with like one little demographic. And then another one maybe have a switch and maybe have like 10 creators in one ad set or whatnot. And, and for everybody, something's working, right? And that's why I do not like hacks and that's why I do not like one-fits-all solutions, but rather go individual and just try and test what works and what doesn't for this brand or this offer or this product. Ding, ding, ding. Correct answer. There are no best practices. Uh, every single thing is predicated on context, right? Your brand, like there are things you know widely to be true. Okay, well, we need our site speed to be better. Okay, yeah, duh. But every brand is very specific and has very specific needs and customers and the way that they're going to communicate. So yeah, you can't have best practices. Social proof is great. That's a great call out though. And I think what we'll lead with is that uh, when, when we release this one is uh, everyone who has best practices should be fired. Uh, I think that's going to be uh, the, the call. Print this out. Make this a title. I see, Tink. Yeah, that's going to be the title of the entire thing. <laughs> I'm curious about um, what do you think is overhyped right now? Well, that's a great and tough question at the same time. I think for most people, overhyped is that they put all their eggs in one basket and think they can just run with one traffic channel. And um, in that sense, maybe TikTok may be a bit overhyped in the sense that people think that they can just do their complete brand strategy in line with TikTok and put like 95% of their ad budget into TikTok and just scale it to the moon. And... I think that that's an overhyped strategy right now to just focus too much on TikTok because we see so many people also from our client base trying out their product on TikTok and it simply doesn't work because the audience isn't there. The product is too high priced for TikTok whatsoever, like the product market fit isn't right. And I feel like TikTok is great for really, really cheaply acquiring new customers or new visitors because the conversion rate is shit. Like the conversion rate from TikTok is anywhere between 0.2 to 1%. Like it's it's the lowest through all traffic channels. Like on Facebook, Instagram, you may have 3 to 5. On Google, pay to Google Organic, you may have 5 to 10. And then on TikTok, you have 0.2 to 1% conversion rate. So that's really, really bad. I think that's a bit overhyped in my personal opinion. At the end of the day, I'm not a media buyer. It's just the way that I experience it. And I believe in having a really, really 
even distribution of your ad budget throughout all the channels. And again, having a more holistic view on how you should position yourself and the brand and have a view on the complete customer journey. Because your customer is not 24-7 on TikTok. He may be also on Facebook. He may be Googling your brand. He may be trying to inspire himself on Pinterest. He may be checking his mails or his notifications or SMS or whatsoever. So if you're just betting on this one traffic channel, then you're missing out on so many opportunities. So in that sense, um, that may be the only strategy that's overhyped right now. Other than that, there's nothing coming to me top of mind. I, I love you just dropping the old, uh, yeah, the, the conversion rate is 0.2. Uh, it's like, you know, you can argue anything, but you just say that and you're like, I don't want that. It doesn't matter the volume. That's like, that's, I'm wasting money and time on that. So I think that's a, yeah, that's a really great call out. It's funny. That is probably when I talk to agency owners on this, that is the, the answer. TikTok is both the right thing and the wrong thing simultaneously. It is a really valuable channel, but it's not the thing that is going to save you. Like, don't think that it's going to save you. It's just another thing that needs to be evenly distributed across your entire kind of ad stack, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And that's also the thing, like so many people like to focus on one specific KPI and they say, oh my gosh, the TikTok CPMs are amazing. They're insanely low. They're like 40% lower than on Facebook, but you're also acquiring so much more low quality traffic. So in that sense, you have to calculate like how is the traffic from like the way that you're purchasing it. And then also how much of it is converting. And then again, compared to like Facebook, Google and all the other channels. So maybe Facebook has like 10 times higher CPMs, but maybe Facebook also has a 15 times higher conversion rate. And then it also makes sense again to just scale on Facebook. Yeah, man. I mean, this is kind of the big one, right? It's like, what's the quality of the traffic? What like on it from like pure DR, what are they driving for you? So you can sit here and say, just I mean, it's just a pure math equation. Okay, so something cost you, you know, five thousand dollars more, but it generated twenty five thousand dollars more revenue, so it's more valuable. You know, your ROAS is higher, your MER is higher. Like, it all makes sense. Obviously, I think long term TikTok will figure it out. They have a lot of money on the table to figure it out. But like, everyone on Twitter or, or like in marketing in general is is broadly saying TikTok is the place, and I think you have to have the right kind of product to be able to deliver against TikTok. And I think that's kind of the thing no one else is saying right now is it really is a product market fit issue. There's plenty of brands that can do it, but I think there is an upward bound right now of like what a basket size will be for a person who purchases off TikTok today, because who's the predominant person using the platform? It's not a 35 to 40 year old who has, you know, wallet size or like a 30 plus year old who has a, you know, enough wallet size. It's sub 25. They have less money in their pocket. So they're willing to buy something that's $25, $30, $40, but they're not willing to buy a $200 product off of TikTok. Mm. So CPMs are low, but you have to make sure that you still have margin to give based on that. So yeah, dead on there. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. What's your idea of where your business will go next and maybe even where the industry will go next? Um, so for our business right now, um, we have the positioning of D2C clients in the lifestyle and CPG niche. So those are most of the customers that we are working with. So anything from fashion, jewelry, apparel, beauty, skincare, supplements, health, and all of that. So those are mostly what we're in right now. Next, we're looking forward to expand that in the sense of working with more niches and more different products to just experience that in the e-com space. 
mid-term and long-term, we may also expand the agency to not only be for e-com, but also have the offer for info product, B2B, and SaaS in that sense. Because at the end of the day, CRO and A-B testing from the approach and the process will be the same, but for a different product and a different audience and everything. And you're like selling different things, or you may not even be selling a product, but you're selling a book, a call or something. But the way that we are doing it and the way that we are approaching it would be the same. So that's like a mid-long-term thing that I could see the agency going to in the next two to five years. But before that, it's a really, really blue ocean and an untapped market. And I don't want to say it too loud on the podcast. <laughs> but, but literally, like there are no CRO agencies out there. Like I know a hundred Facebook agencies top of mind and there are like hundreds of thousands of Facebook agencies. But when you Google a CRO agency... Like in Germany, in my market, there may be like 20 to 30, which is insane because just alone in like this part of the city, there are probably 20 Facebook agencies, right? So it's really a blue, completely untapped ocean. So there's so much to do and some, so many places to go. So we want to make sure that we strategically do it the right way. And first of all, just focus on e-com, just focus on English-speaking and German-speaking countries. And then think about, of, should we expand this to more niches or should we expand this to more markets before we then go ahead and expand the positioning into SaaS, B2B, Info, and all the other things? Yeah, that's great. So I usually like to go to this thing that I, I call like uh, anti-rapid fire. So like, where do you get your best ideas? Usually um, consume a bunch of content from books and podcasts and videos. That's one huge thing. Another huge thing is talking either to people in the same bubble or completely getting out of the bubble and talking with entrepreneurs in that sense, but they are doing something completely different so that they can give me input on a topic, but from a completely different view outside of the bubble. And then those is where I'm getting my most ideas from. And then I really just like to go outside, go on a, like a one-hour walk, do not take my phone or anything with me, and then just let my mind flow through everything that from the input that I've taken in. And then I will usually come up with the best ideas. I like to call them like shower ideas because in that sense, you're not doing anything else. You're just like walking around, standing under the shower, and then your mind and your brain will do its magic and think about everything that you've gotten taken into from the content and then come up with some great ideas. Yeah, that's great. What skill do you think has served you best in life so far? Emotional intelligence. That's great. I'm glad that you knew that right away, and I would agree with you completely. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Trust the process. Oh. It's really short, really concise answers. <laughs> no, it's good, man. It's very German. And uh, if you had to talk to her, I'm sure you do this, by the way. If you were talking to a younger founder who either wanted to start an agency or a brand, What's the, the best piece of advice you could give them um, in terms of just being, being an entrepreneur um, or starting out working for you know, a smaller company? I think the biggest and most foundational one is to always believe in yourself and trust in yourself um, because that will, again, get you going through everything, like every day, every obstacle, every challenge that you have. So that's the most foundational one in that sense that I like to give to everybody. And then also I like to talk about, again, who do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? And how can you, like, what's the way to get there? From the skill set, from your character, from what you need to learn, from, let, from what, again, for like ego, what do you have to let go out of your life right now that's not matching with that personality or character? Like that 
is able to get to your goals. So I'm mostly talking about what are your goals, how can you get there, and who do you have to be to be able to reach your goals? I think that's a big one. Who do you have to be to be able to reach your goals? And you have to choose if you like that person. Maybe you don't like the person you have to be. I was watching a show last night, and this um, it's like about these two. There's a show on HBO called Hacks. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but essentially. One woman became a successful uh, comedian, and this is like 30 years later, they haven't seen each other. One didn't. And she said, I watched how hard and the things you had to do to become successful, and I didn't want to do it. It wasn't worth it to me. And I think it's it's important to know, like, these things are hard, and it's you need to know kind of what the, the floor and ceiling of your, like, emotional life that you're willing to give. Because, like, you'll have, you were talking about a couple months back, you were having, you were in a, you were in a valley. You will have peaks and valleys. And every time you're in the valley, it feels like it's never going to end. Every time you're on the peak, you think it's never going to end. Both are shorter than you realize. And so bringing those two things and understanding that I think is, is, a, is a really, really big one. Yeah, for sure. That's the way to, that's the way to close it off, man. That's the way to close <laughs> it off. How should people reach out to you? Obviously, I'll link out your, your Twitter. Is there any other way that they can, they can talk to you? Best would be Twitter. So my DMs are always open. I'm always happy to connect with people. And Twitter is where I'm most active and dropping the most of the content. So just feel free to send me a DM, comment under my post, whatsoever. And uh, then we'll be in touch. Yeah. I mean, that's how we met, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I DM'd you. and was like, you're cool uh, and smarter than me. Can we talk? <laughs> so... Just a fun one for everybody. Uh, Carl actually every week drops some knowledge in our newsletter as well. So he's he's always trying to help people out as much as possible. So I, I think that's an important one for people to realize. He's always just paying it forward. Yeah, really excited about what you're doing at Accelerated, Carl. Let's let's definitely do it again. And maybe we can just do a, an episode since we did a broad one here. Maybe we can do an episode just on user psychology. I think it'd be super interesting. For sure, for sure. Really done to do that. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. And I think it was a great talk with you. Appreciate you a lot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. Uh, excited to do it again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ad Creative from Pencil. We hope you enjoyed our chat and learned a thing or two that can help you grow your business and think more creatively. If you have someone you think we should interview, just hit me up on Twitter. Also a small favor, if you could please share and review this, we want our guests' amazing insights to reach as much of the community as possible. And your ratings help. Until next time, add some creativity into your life. Thanks.